Stop the murmuring. <laughs> I'm pretty sure people were actually making that noise. So the murmur noise. I, I walked in the back door. It sounded like there's this huge crowd of people in here. Yeah, and it sounded just like that murmur, murmur, that. Yeah. So welcome to Bible study. Hi, Helen. Hi. Yes. Welcome to Bible study. Uh, we're glad you're here. <laughs> it's good to see everybody tonight. And uh, we're going to get started with some prayer. So let's pray. Father, thanks for uh, this is time to gather, and we thank you for your presence. Uh, we welcome you. And Jesus, we ask that you would lead us tonight. We pray for the Holy Spirit to teach us tonight. We pray that we'd be empowered and that we'd have ears to hear. Uh, what you're saying to us. I pray, God, that you would change our hearts, change our minds, and I ask you, God, for uh, the miraculous. I, I pray, God, for revelation. I ask you that you would be glorified during this time. So have your way. I pray that we would be yielded to you, yielded to what you want to do, what you want to say. And I pray, Father, that uh, yeah, you'd have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 If you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to look at Exodus 16. If you need a Bible, you can grab one off the table. Uh, they're there for your use. If you need a Bible or you'd like a Bible, you can feel free to take one. Exodus 16, as you're turning there, just a quick reminder, we have an interactive feature with Bible study. It's through our website, www.speakpipe.com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. Now you can go to that website and click on a button and leave us a message. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, it's just like a voicemail type thing, and we endeavor to play any messages that we receive uh, during the meeting. It could be a question, comment. It could be just saying hi. It could be something God spoke to you. Uh, whatever it is, uh, we have people listening to us from all over the place, so we'd love to hear from you and hear where you're from. And just give us a, a little shout and a little hello. And that would be great. Exodus 16. You need a volunteer to read verse 27. On the seventh day, some of the people went out together, but they found none. Thanks. <laughs> yes. Yep, that's about it. And... and as you read that verse, there's a couple things that we're going to look at. Some of your versions have a little more expansion in the verse. Uh, that's okay. But uh, the idea behind it is, is that the people have been given instruction as to the gathering of manna. And this was the idea behind this. Moses had given them some instruction, and he said that on the day before the Sabbath, they were to go out, but they were to gather twice as much, and prepare it so that they would have food on the Sabbath day because there would be no manna on the Sabbath day and that they needed to take care of things the day before. So he was giving them instruction and he left it at that. So uh, on the next Sabbath, what happened was in my Bible, one of my Bibles that I was reading says, in spite of what Moses had told them. In spite of. That's kind of an interesting phrase, uh, but in spite of what Moses had told them, which was that they were to fetch enough for two days and prepare it, they went out and looked for it anyway. So 
So I thought that was, uh, I, I thought that was telling about where people were at. Now think about, first of all, the Sabbath, the idea of the seventh day. Uh, that didn't originate, and obviously not, because we haven't gotten there yet, but it didn't originate on Mount Sinai. And the idea of the Sabbath was something that was ancient, something that was before the law. It was before Moses brought down the, t- the stone tablets. It was, you can, you can keep going back, and it was before they were in Egypt that they understood what the Sabbath was. In fact, uh, the Sabbath was established by whom? Anybody know? God, when? It was day seven, right. And, and so who kept the first Sabbath? God did, right. So, so this is a really super ancient uh, primitive of God's ways. And those of you that know me uh, over the years, you know I really love primitive faith. And I love the concept of primitive worship and the concept of a primitive faith in God. The concept of God revealing himself to us and us responding to that revelation. Well, part of his revelation to us, and if you've ever got on the wrong side of me about this, part of his revelation to us had to do with the Sabbath. It had to do with taking time to rest. And because it was something that he modeled. It was something that he not only modeled, he declared it, he established it, and he set it into motion from the very start. And so it was the most primitive of instructions that he had uh, for his creation. And that's that it would be a Sabbath rest. There would be a seventh day rest. And so I want you to see it that way. That he, Moses isn't instructing uh, the children of Israel in the Sabbath. They knew about the Sabbath. That had been passed down from generation to generation to generation as to this is the seventh day, this is the day of rest. Why? Because God rested on the seventh day. Good enough. All right. And so they knew about the Sabbath. They understood the Sabbath. He was instructing them specifically on how they were to take care of their food needs on the Sabbath. And so he was instructing specifically about the manna. And so, in spite of his instruction, which was to fetch enough for two days and to prepare it, in spite of what Moses had said, it said they went out and they were looking for manna on the Sabbath. Now, some of them had tried to keep manna against the command. In other words, on every other day, if you tried to keep it in your house, say on Tuesday, you were going to keep manna and you gathered enough for Wednesday too. Did that work? Do you know anything about how this was? Okay, what happened if you tried to keep it? Yes, it stinketh. Yeah. Yeah. It stinketh. Yeah, a little of the Queen's English for you there, Helen, all right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. So when they kept the manna against a command, it stank. But when they kept manna by a command, could have been the same amount of time, but when they kept it by a command, it was sweet and it was good. 
So the issue there wasn't the manna. The issue didn't have to do with the manna. Now, think about manna was miraculous food, right? It was miraculous. It just showed up. God was feeding like a million people in the wilderness, and this is how he was feeding them in the wilderness. You think about all the miraculous things that happened. There was a cloud during the day that they were following. There was a pillar of fire at night that was always there. There was the manna. There was when they needed water, they had water from a rock. I mean, there's all these miraculous things that took place, and, and this is just part of the miracle, but it was a daily miracle. It was something that would happen every single day except on Sunday because that was the day of rest. And so this was being emphasized, this was being taught, and so the command was important. The food was miraculous. The food was supernatural. The food was something that God was providing in a supernatural way every day but Sunday. And so what he was teaching them is that from day to day to day that you trusted from day to day. And so on Tuesday, you got enough food for Tuesday. On Wednesday, you got enough food for Wednesday. And so the trust factor was there. It's like, this is how we're doing this. This is what we're doing. And so you were given this opportunity to trust and believe every single day. That was the miraculous food. And so it required a supernatural response from people. And the supernatural response was to trust and obey and believe. And when they didn't do that, the food would rot. Well, the food didn't change. They did. Their obedience changed. Their trust changed. Something in their spirit, something in their life changed. The food was still supernatural. The food was still miraculous. But their response, something in them, in their disobedience, caused that to rot and stink. Now, I'm not going to take this too far to expand it out too far. But what I want to say about this is, is that we have a role to play in the miraculous in our lives, just like they did. And I'm a firm believer that, that, that God, we serve a God that really enjoys and really desires to do miraculous and supernatural things. I really believe that. Not everyone agrees with me about that, but I believe it. Not everyone thinks that what I'm saying is true, but I do. And it's been my experience that as I put myself in a position for the miraculous, as I position my life, position my, my spirit, my faith, my, my understanding, my belief, and my obedience in such a way, I begin to experience more and more of the miraculous in my own life. I begin to see it more. I begin to experience it more. I begin to have my hand in it more and it begins to touch me and the people around me more and so I have some role I mean God's going to heal well he heals God's going to do other types of provision miracles well that's what he does he's going to do miracles with the weather he's going to do miracles with nature he's going to do miracles with, with the people that are around me because that's what he does and in part of my role in that, and, and I want to say this because I think sometimes we think we can just, whatever we're going to do, we're going to do, 
And if God wants to intervene in whatever we're doing with the miraculous, then he's just going to do that. Well, generations have lived and died without seeing the miraculous because that was their attitude. Well, if God wanted to do it, he'd just do it. Yeah, well, he's looking at us. And it's always been about that relationship with us that there's a participation in what he's doing. There's a participation in his creation. There's a participation in, in what he wants to do in the world that we live in. It's always been that. There's always been that call on his people. There's always been that, that work in and through his people. You know, there's a verse in the Old Testament, and, and I, I didn't look it up beforehand. I think it's in Amos. And it talks about, it's like, God doesn't do anything without first revealing it to his servants, the prophets. Why? Why? He doesn't have to reveal anything to anybody to do what he wants to do. He doesn't. But he chooses to. He chooses to. And that, that verse, which you can use it for whatever you want to use it for, but that verse speaks to me about God choosing to involve us in what he's doing in the world, to involve people. Because that's just how he does it. He could have named the animals at, at creation, right? But he had Adam participate in that. He could have done a lot of the things that he did without the participation of humans. But he chose to use humans. He chose to allow us the privilege of working with him and alongside of him to allow us to work and, and, and see what he was doing. He allows us that kind of a privilege in our life. And so, time to name the animals. Well, let's get Adam involved in that. All right, good. We're going to subdue the earth. Who's going to subdue the earth? What well, was the command that he gave to Adam and to Eve? That they were going to go and they were going to do that. Why? He could have done that. It was their job. It was their part. It was their place. It was their authority. Well, Jesus, and, and you go, kind of go through the history of Israel and you get to the New Testament. You look at Jesus and, and Jesus is all about that. I mean, he could have consolidated his power, consolidated his authority. He could have consolidated the miraculous in and through him and him alone. Isn't that what people do? If somebody has a special knowledge or if somebody has a special ability or somebody has something that nobody else can do, they consolidate that. It makes them more valuable. You understand what I'm saying? And so they consolidate it and that makes them even more valuable it makes them even more prominent it makes them so that people will look to them even more but Jesus wasn't about that he was about giving it away let's get the apostles together let's let's get them anointed and let's send them out let's send out 12 good well okay good that worked out let's send out 72 good or 70 whatever your bible says believe the bible whatever it says and so he sent them out, and they had power over demons. They had power to heal the sick. They had all this power. Then you, you go through, on through, and you get toward Jesus and death and resurrection and the baptism of the Holy Spirit and him pouring out the Holy Spirit on all flesh and all of that. But he, he, says, to, he says to his followers, he's like, you've seen the miracles I've done. You'll do even greater. In other words, there's an empowering that's going on from Jesus to us. 
You know, even, even when he announces before his ascension, all authority, and just Jesus speaking, all authority has been given me in heaven and earth. Awesome. He could have stopped right there, right? And then he looked, he says, but go, you go, therefore, you go. And you baptize all nations. You teach. That's what he told us. And so the idea behind it is that that participatory understanding of God has just always been there. It just has. It's his expectation. It's his desire. It's what he created us for. And so we have a role to play. And it's, it, you think about it, it's like, you know, anything we do, anything we do as people, if, if we're going to have anything to do with it, we have a role to play. All right? I mean, you can call yourself whatever you want to call yourself. You can say, all right, well, now I'm a policeman. All right? And you can sit around and watch television all day and still call yourself a policeman. But you might have to go to the police academy. You might have to pass some exams and a background check. You might have to learn how to be a policeman in order to go be a policeman. It's not enough to say, well, I'm a policeman. Well, okay. Or you could, you could, what's that? I want to be an astronaut. You'd be an astronaut? I'm an astronaut. I'm going to Mars. Going to Mars, yeah. You're a Martian. <laughs> make you a Martian, yeah. Yeah. So you can say that, but, but what is the reality of it? What's your part in that? Yeah. So, so why? Why do we have this expectation? Yeah, I'm a spirit-filled, empowered Christian. Okay, great. What are you doing about it? You sitting around waiting for something? What are you waiting for? What are we waiting for? I mean, you could say, well, I'm waiting like the 120 they waited in the upper room. That already happened. All right? That already happened. Jesus poured out the Holy Spirit. Jesus, the day of Pentecost came already. It's, it's done. They were filled. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Then you, you look through the book of Acts and you see... Just time and time again, people being filled, being baptized in the Holy Spirit. All through the book of Acts. Because the waiting, that was all done. Now, now it was moving. Now it was expanding. Now it was working to get the thing done. So, I, I'm not waiting for that. It happened. I'm not. And I'm not saying that God never has you just kind of pause in your life or wait for something or whatever, but... I mean, in general, if you've been waiting the last 20 years for something to happen, that's pathetic. That is clearly pathetic. And I want to encourage you toward some action. I do. I want to encourage you toward something more, to have a vision for something greater than just sitting around. And I want to encourage you toward that. Now, I know some of you, you move in the gifts. You allow God to use you in whatever he wants to do. And I applaud that, man. That's, that's where we're supposed to be at. That's, that's who God made us to be. And I want to encourage the rest of us 
that we may need to begin to move. We may need to begin to step into a vision that God gives us for our lives. We may need to begin to look at what God has said in his word and apply it to our lives. What do I mean by that? I mean, when uh, there was a, a meeting I was at in Indianapolis, Indiana, and, and at this meeting, some of you have heard the story before. I apologize, others you haven't. But uh, we were at this meeting, and there was a guy that was speaking at the meeting. He was in one of the breakout sessions, and he was out of his mind. I mean, just out of his mind. And I was sitting in the session, and I, I thought that as he was talking, like, this guy is out of his mind. But what he was doing, he was just talking about just allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us. He was talking about just being obedient to the Holy Spirit. He was talking about signs and wonders and miracles, and these signs shall follow those that believe. And he talked about casting out devils. He talked about healing the sick. He was talking about all these different things, all right? I mean, and he came off completely crazy. Right. And, and, and as I've told this story before, he did something in the middle of his seminar. He had a telephone sitting on the desk that was right by where he was speaking. A landline, you know, with a dialer on it. It was connected to a wire that was connected into the wall. All right. No, he picked it up. <laughs> This is the funny part. It had a, he, they, they microphoned it. And so he picked it up, and he dialed a random number. He had somebody just walk up from one of us, just walk up and dial a random seven-digit number. Just a random number. And, and I don't remember if it, the first one, it didn't go through, or, you know, they, he might have had to try it once or twice until somebody answered. Somebody answered the phone, and this crazy, and I mean crazy guy, just led somebody to Jesus over the phone in front of all of us, just randomly. And he said, okay, and so that's my seminar. I'm totally serious. He's like, this is my seminar. He's like, tomorrow during this time, I've arranged for buses to come here, two or three buses to come here. We're going to load the buses. We're going to go out into Indianapolis, and we're going to go into neighborhoods, and we're going to go house to house, and I want you to give this a shot. Just get in those houses and see what happens. And said, tonight, all I want you to do is read the end of Mark. Yeah, I don't have it on me, but read the end of Mark. And these signs shall follow them that believe. And just keep reading it. Keep reading it. Keep reading it. Pray it into your life. Believe God for it. Keep reading When you get up in the morning, read it. Keep reading it. Keep believing it. Keep praying it into your life. And then you'll be ready to go and we leave on the buses. And sure enough, we loaded up those buses. We went out. I think it was only an hour, an hour and a half we were out. We just went door to door, house to house. Uh, and it was miraculous. Miraculous. And the stories, uh, I, I could tell you stories just from that hour and a half, but it changed my perspective on my participation in what God was doing. Because you're walking into people's homes, and, and some of you have experienced this in our evangelism times, and just, you know, leading a whole household to know Jesus. Just, just holding hands in the middle of a living room with every person in that house. You know, moments where I walked into a house and people were screaming and yelling at each other. 
and things are getting thrown. I could hear it from the outside just, just knocking on that door. So I said, what do you want? And it ending and us all praying together to know Jesus. You know, I prayed over people that day to be healed of HIV, AIDS, all kinds of diseases. I cast out several demons that day. All these things. An hour and a half. An hour and a half. But it changed my expectation on what God wanted to do in me and through me. And that guy was nuts that was leading that. And I have no doubt about it. He told a story. He told me a story about how he sold everything he owned and moved to Chicago. Just, he had a family. He sold everything. He sold his cars. He sold his house. He sold all the furniture out of his house. He sold everything he owned and moved his whole family to Chicago to nothing. Nothing. Because he was led to start. Now listen to this. He was led to start a campus ministry at Dr. Scholl's College in Chicago. Like the foot guy. Yeah. Yeah. That was his leading. It wasn't the University of Chicago. It wasn't Northwestern. It wasn't Loyola, Chicago. It wasn't any of these great national universities Dr. Scholl's foot school is where he was led. And he did it. And God blessed it, and God multiplied it. It wasn't Larry No. No. His name was Dean, and something Greek was his last name. I lost track of him after a while. But it wasn't like... Pompadouradopolis or something. It was, you know, something in there. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember. So we have a part to play. And the manna teaches us that. The manna teaches us that. That we have a part in the miraculous. Because the manna was the same, but it was their obedience and disobedience that caused it to stink. Right? Did you catch that? Did I make that clear? Okay, good. So, so the miraculous was there, and it was for the taking. It was every day. It was there, except, well, except for Sabbath. But it, they participated in this miraculous feeding and this miraculous provision every single day. That was their part. Because this stuff didn't, it wasn't like loaves of bread were laying on the ground, Right? It was a gummy substance that they gathered and they had to make it into something. And they were able to bake it. And it became like these cakes. It became like these bread, but they participated in it. They gathered it and then they had to mold it and make it and knead it and and mix it. And then they had to bake it and then they could eat it. Oh, it's my jam. Yeah. And so, and so they were able to, to participate. Did you see in the miraculous? The raw materials were there. The manna was there. That was the hard part. And then they did their part, and it all came together, and then they could eat their bread or eat their pancakes or whatever it looked like. Who knows? 
don't know what it looks like. I don't know. Dave? Correct. Correct. Okay, so apply that to the miraculous. Yeah. All right, you're going to step out? Yeah. What are you going to step out and do? You're going to step out and do something, you know exactly what it is, and, and you're going to dictate what it's going to be and how it's going to come out? That's going to work, right? No. No, that stinketh, all right? No. No, no. No. And I remember, you know, even even going way, way back when I was first a Christian, I, I the, the night that I accepted Jesus, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. It was like instantaneous. And I was speaking in tongues and stuff, didn't have any idea what it was at that point in my life. I figured it out later, but, you know, God taught me, whatever. But at that point, I didn't know. So, so I, I was going to meetings after a while. I was probably a month into it. And, and I'd heard, somebody was t- telling me, and I'd seen it somewhere, where somebody would give out a message in tongues and somebody would interpret it. And so I'm like, all right, well, uh, I want to do that. Okay. So how do you do that? Nobody could answer that question. Well, you just let it happen. You let it happen. Like, how are you going to let it happen? I mean, I'm going to stand there and all of a sudden it's going to just let it happen? You know, and, and seriously, though, people said that. So I tried standing there a few services, but nothing, nothing happened. So then I thought, all right, well, maybe I need to start speaking or something. Like, there, maybe I have a part to play in this. Yes. Yeah. Not, not a, I'm not making it up. Like, not that big a part, but what's my part to play in this? Well, Dave was saying, you got to trust, Right? All right, so what's, what am I trusting in? That I'm not going to open my mouth and look like a babbling idiot, right? That was what I was trusting. But I had to take a step of faith. And that step of faith put me in a vulnerable, vulnerable position that I may start something and, and it may not go anywhere. Because sometimes that happens. You know, when you try to start something, it may not work. Yeah. And, and so you have to be aware that that's a possibility. And so what are you going to do? Yeah. You're going to play it safe? You're going to get nowhere. Take a chance? Yeah. Yeah. Is it really a chance? What's that? Yeah, there ain't even such a thing. I mean, we don't even have that. Yeah, I, I just, I look at all of this and it, it, it strikes me that our part is our part. 
And we need to somehow get used to that. That is our part. To somehow come to a place in our life where we allow for our part to take place and that we are actively, wholeheartedly, or at least half-heartedly, trusting God that he's got us and we're going to do it. And that's it. So people did what they wanted instead of listening to Moses. They just did what they wanted to do. And it's conveniently human to just do what you want to do. As human beings, we like just doing what we want to do. And, and that just happens to be the case. And depending on how you were brought up, you may be more prone to that than other people that were brought up differently. Just saying. We were all brought up in different levels of discipline in our lives. And we've all responded to that discipline in different ways. And if you embraced it and you move forward in that and in somehow, some way it's stuck, then you probably don't struggle with this as much as other people do. That weren't brought up in that kind of discipline and, or that rebelled against it and just decided they were going to do what they wanted to do when they were 20 or 18 or 23 or 25 years old. So these people, definitely human condition, they just did what they wanted to do. It was a willful disobedience and it was a violation of an express command in spite of what Moses said. They did what they wanted to do. Now, in the New Testament, Jesus speaks to this a little bit, at least Moses' word to them. And in Matthew 6.34, somebody want to look at that real quick? Keep your finger in Exodus 16, but just take a look at Matthew 6.34. so there's Jesus giving a little wisdom right well isn't that what Moses was saying to him that's what Moses was saying to him was like don't worry about tomorrow just go out and get your manna today tomorrow will take care of itself alright so you, you do what you need to do today what's that go out and get the manna go ahead and make your bread go ahead and cook it up go ahead and eat it go ahead and enjoy it and then tomorrow you can worry about tomorrow when tomorrow gets here and then it's today, right? So don't worry about tomorrow. Then today will be here. Then you go out and get your manna, and you can prepare it, and you can do it, and that's it. Oh, wait, but then there's a Sabbath. So, okay, so we're going to go out, and we're going to get twice as much, and then we're not going to worry about it spoiling for tomorrow because it should be ready, and it should be ready to go, and it'll be okay for the next day. So the next day you get there, is it spoiled? No, because it's the Sabbath day, and that's what God said to do, and so you're okay for that day. Oh, but I'm going to worry about the next day. Don't worry about the next day. Why? Because there'll be man on the ground again. And you can go out, you can gather it, you can fix it, and it'll be good. So Jesus, in, in teaching this, take no care for tomorrow. He's teaching what Dave was saying is trust. 
a simple trust of his word. Because you look in Matthew, or you look ahead of that, and you just see God's going to take care of us. God's going to take care of us. He says he's going to take care of us. Whatever we have need of, he's willing to and he's able to take care of us. And so don't worry about it. It's like the whole world is worried about it. All the pagans are worried about it. Well, we're not pagans. We're not pagans. We have been given a faith and we have been given a, a, a word from God that he's going to take care of us in these things. And we're really going to trust that or we're going to live as pagans, which we don't need to. So did Moses' words stand? Because they, they, they didn't listen to him. Right? They didn't listen to him. So did his words stand? Did they go out and find manna out when they went out on the Sabbath day? Did they find any? No. Nope. Wasn't there. His words stood. What about, what about when he said, don't try to keep some overnight? It wasn't the Sabbath day because it will rot and it will stink. Did his words stand? Yeah, they gave it a shot. It, it all rotted. It stunk, and that was it. And so his word stood. I'm telling you, Jesus' word stands. That's what I'm getting toward there. Uh, his word stands. And your life, and you don't want to hear this, and you don't want to think about it, your life reflects the fact that Jesus' word stands. If you're worried about tomorrow... You start thinking about how that affects your life. You think about how that affects your peace. You think about how that affects you emotionally. You think about how that affects you physically. You think about how that affects you spiritually. Jesus' word stands, and it still stands. And your life will reflect that. If you're living in worry and anxiety, and you're living that, you know, I don't know what to do about tomorrow, all the rest of those kind of things, your life will reflect that. It just will negatively because his word stands. But then again, you think about times in your life where you trusted him. You think about times in your life where you weren't worried about tomorrow and you had plenty for today. And how his word stood then too on that positive provision side of what he says there. We tend to not want to hear it when we're not doing well. When we're living in some kind of lack or we're living in some kind of, of anxiety or some kind of fear in our life. We don't want to hear that. But the truth of the matter is, his word's going to stand. Whether we want to hear it or not, and we have the ability, we have the privilege, we have the right to affect that in our own lives. And to turn the tables on it. Just like they did. And so these people showed themselves to be unfaithful. And they were unthankful. Because they had a miraculous gift of food. And they did exactly the opposite of God's command for them. It was guaranteed every morning. Food. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Except for the Sabbath morning, but guaranteed, and they had enough from the day before. 
And it went on and on and on for 40 years through the wilderness. Yeah, there's a certain, and we'll look at we'll look at this in a minute. But there's a certain allowance that he made, and it's an allowance that he makes for us, which is kind of an interesting thought, or maybe an interesting word for it. But we'll get to that in just a second. Good point. Now, there's always people in the church that refuse to believe God. Always. And I say in the church because they're in the church. But they refuse to believe that God provides or does the miraculous. There's always people like that. I don't care where you're coming from either. Like I was part of a, a Pentecostal, Pentecostal denomination. What does that mean? That means it's codified in their original documents that they believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that they believe in the miraculous, and they have expectation that that's how God is going to use them. They believe in divine healing. They believe in all of those things. I was part of a denomination that believed all of that stuff. In fact, I had to take exams to be credentialed with them that I had to memorize that they believed all that stuff. Right? Yeah. So... So it was, it was really, you know, deep into what they believed. You follow me? But even there, there were always people. And sometimes there were people in leadership that refused, refused to believe in the miraculous. Just refused. Well, I'm just, I, I'm just saying that... I, I mean, I, I give you an example. I was down Long Island. It was a Sunday service. And, uh, and I, I preached. And at the end, uh, I just had an open time. People could come up and get prayer. And so uh, people were coming forward. I was praying over people. And before I even got down to start praying with people, I was still standing up front and and uh, I don't remember what I was doing, but this woman comes walking up the aisle, like up the center of the church, and I looked at her, and I just said, uh, and I stopped her, and I said, God, I just wants to give you a word here, is that you haven't been able to get pregnant, but God says you're going to conceive, and you're going to have a child, and I gave her a certain amount of time or something, and that woman, like, it was a yell of some kind, and she just collapsed onto the ground, right in the middle of the aisle. And so that was happening, and then all these people came up, we're praying over them. I probably prayed over, I don't know, 70, 75 people that, that time. The people in the church were so upset that it was taking so long. 
Yes. That they locked the doors <laughs> and left us in there. Right. Didn't take me and June out to eat. Nothing. Just left us there with the people that we were praying for. And the people that we were praying for actually took us out to lunch to a diner when we were done. Now, this story doesn't even end there. Because after that, a letter got sent to the office in charge of the whole state complaining about me being immature and all the things that I did there. Like, like calling people out or praying over people for healing. I mean, seriously, this was all written in the letter. And I just, and, and the guy, who, the pastor of that church was one, he, he was in charge of the metro region for that area. So meaning New York City, Long Island, and then parts of like Orange County, Rockland County, in that area. Now, there's always people like that. Always. And, you know, I, I didn't get any trouble. Thank God somebody was above them that was like, isn't this really what we're supposed to be doing? <laughs> I'm like, I thought so. I don't know. So I didn't get any trouble for it, but I, it just struck me that how does that become a thing? In, in, a, in a group of people that just believe that God moves. How could that become a thing? But it was a thing. It is a thing. And there's always people that, that, it, that refuse to believe God provides or refuse to believe God does the miraculous. And in order to do that, they have to persuade themselves that they know better. That's what happens. That people somehow persuade themselves that they, they know better. And, and here is the, the problem and that is when the ordinary is interrupted. And, and the ordinary, what does that mean? Like every day, what we're used to every day. When that gets interrupted, it makes people uncomfortable. And these same people that they are always in the church that refuse to believe God, they just look at that and say, well, then it's just impossible. It's just impossible. This can't be God. This can't be the Lord. This, this can't be what God is doing. And I can't tell you how many times I've had quoted in my face, we, we serve a God of, anybody finish this? Order. Order, yeah. Yeah, we, we do. But what happens if he does something that's not in our order? Right. And, and, and this is part of the issue is that uh, serving God, something that's out of the ordinary, well, we persuade ourselves that we know better. Right? That's how you do it. You persuade yourself you know better. And so then if you set the order and something's outside of the order that you've set, then it must not be the Lord. Because you know better. When in fact, a lot of times, it is the Lord. A lot of times, he does things that don't make any sense to us. Let's go back to the manna. Can I just share this with you? If you keep the manna more than a day, it rots. 
except for on the day before the Sabbath. And if you keep it that day, it's good for the next day. And you can't do it the other way. All right? So for six days, you go out and do the same exact thing. But on the seventh day, you can't do that. You do it completely differently. And all the rules from the first six days don't apply to that other day because that's different. All right? Now, mind blown, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they did that later. Yeah, there was no ark yet. They didn't. Yeah. I think they took care of that. What's that? It was good. Yeah, yeah. It was good then. But see how that could be confusing if you insist on you know better? Yeah. Oh, you know, he said, he says if it's no good, then it won't be any good. Well, yeah, but he said it is going to be. Oh, no, no, I can't do that. Yeah, no, uh-uh, no. So, uh, <laughs> and there's a, there's a lot of things like that. Like, it, even, like, New Testament-wise, you look at Jesus. How many things is Jesus doing that the, the people, like, the, the guys that were in charge of the law, like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were watching things he was doing. They're like, no, no, mm-mm. that's not how you do that. No, you can't. Oh, no, mm-mm. So, so he was a heretic, and he was obviously possessed of demons because they, they, he wasn't doing it the right way. You know, it's just not right. You know, you can't do that. They, oh, mom and, yeah, mom and the brothers and sisters thought he was nuts. They were trying to come take charge of him at a meeting. You know, we're going to corral him in. Come on. Because he wasn't doing it right. He didn't do it right. So, so here's the problem, is that if you've got rules, and he's not following your rules, but you know better, you're going to be resistant to the Holy Spirit. You're going to be resistant to the prophetic. You're going to be resistant to the miraculous in your life. You're even going to be resistant to provision, because God may not be providing in a way that you want him to or thought he would. Just be resistant to it. Or ignore it at best, maybe. And so you go if you go down to verse twenty eight, there's a God asked a question of Moses and the people, he said, Well, how long? How long are you gonna refuse to obey? How long you're not gonna listen to my commands and teachings? And and you know what? The way he words that, it's like they had done that before. Because he's asking how long. This wasn't the first time that they'd been disobedient to his commands and teachings. This was an old disease, man. Right? This was an old disease. Go back to Genesis. Yeah, I mean, right from the start, it's an old disease, man. Or you go to Genesis 6, I mean, God's destroying the whole world. Why? It's an old disease. It really is. And so he asks, like, how long are you going to keep doing this? How long are you going to keep, you know, being this way? Somebody look at, and we're going to end here. Somebody look at uh, Psalm 78, 38. And this is where we're going back to what, uh, what Dave was saying. 
about God making some allowance here. Psalm 78, 38. Right? So, what you see in that verse, and this is specifically talking about the people we're looking at, what, what this tells us is this, that God makes allowance. He makes allowance for our stupidity. He makes allowance for our pride. He makes allowance for our disobedience. He makes allowance for our resisting him. He makes allowance for it. Well, how long? I don't know. I don't know. How long? God was asking Moses that question. How long? And really, that's a question for us. Follow me? That's not really a question for God. No one's asking God that question. Well, how long, Lord? That wasn't it. It was God asking us, how long? How long are you going to live like this? How long are you going to be resistant to the Holy Spirit? How long are you going to resist the gifts? How long are you going to resist the miraculous? How long are you going to resist God's provision in your life? How long? You can keep resisting. He's made provision for the old disease that we carry with us. He has made provision for it, but... How long? How long will it take for you, for me? And this is a valid question. I, I really want you to think about this. How long will it take for you and for me to become accustomed to obedience? To disassociate our ways from just doing what we want become accustomed to obeying him how long and I want to encourage you that you don't have to continue down whatever path that you're on if it's not in obedience or it's not in the miraculous or it's not in God's provision for your life you don't have to continue how long well that's a question for you how long and I can't answer that. You know, if you have in your head that you need to stay stubborn for X, Y, or Z reasons, then you're going to. If you have in your head, well, I know better than God the Almighty, then that's what you think. But at some point, there seems to be, I hope, a point where we come to, to a different conclusion in our life that we serve a God that's calling us to participate with him. We serve a God that is calling us to live in his provision and the life that he gives. We serve a God that really is looking out for us, wants the best, and, and is a God of the supernatural and a God of the miraculous, and he calls us into that with him. He does. How long are we going to resist? How long are we going to know better? How long? How long until we just take our spot with him? Take our role with him? Take up our position of authority and influence and power with him? How long? And that's going to be up to you. That's going to be up to me. So I want to encourage you. We're going to take a moment to pray. And...
And you just take that, that time to respond. You take the time to respond right where you are. And uh, I'll close in prayer in a couple minutes. But this is the time to respond. Uh, if you don't respond now, you'll forget. Some world crowds in, other stuff happens, you're thinking about something else as you're walking out the door. So uh, take the time now to respond. And, uh, and, and really, I, I don't, I'm not going to reiterate any more of what I've said, but this is the moment. And, and the only thing I'll ask again is how long. And maybe tonight's the night of change. Maybe tonight's the start of something else for you something new, the beginning of you becoming more accustomed to obeying him. Heavenly Father, I thank you for uh, just your love over us, and I thank you for the allowance that you've made in our life for the old disease. And so I ask you, God, in your mercy that it be a a moment here now where some of us can make a different decision. Or some of us could renew a decision in our lives that we want to participate in the miraculous. We want to participate in the supernatural. We want to participate in your provision in our lives and the lives of others. That we want to be a part of who you are and what you're doing. And so God, I I just ask that our hearts would be free, our spirits would be free right now to respond to you in Jesus' name. So just take a moment. Thanks, God. Thanks, God. Bless you, Lord. Just going to take another moment, another minute. Say what you need to say, do what you need to do. Thank you, Lord.
the Lord. Lord. Thank you, Lord. Jesus. Lord. Yeah, God, we give you thanks. Thanks that you made us and you desire for us to be with you and to work with you and to be a part of what you're doing. Thanks for the awesome privilege there is, is your children as your people. Pray you'd encourage us tonight, and we'd respond to you. Continue to respond to you tonight and tomorrow, and the days beyond. Give you thanks for asking in Jesus' name. Let's agree with an amen. Amen. amen.